And if you will with me this morning, open up to Acts chapter 18. And Acts chapter 18, we we look at the Scriptures, when we look at the Bible, and some people will say, okay, well, this is 2,000 years ago. What about life today? How can this apply to a culture and to a, a world where we can hop in the car and travel around the country, get on an airplane and move between continents in hours. Uh, technology, I can talk with my wife through video, face-to-face with her, almost just the cost of the data. And this world, is this still applicable today? And what was it all about? Um, Paul, th- this great missionary that we see the, the books written in the New Testament. Um, here, Luke is writing about the gospel and how it moves and transitions into this world uh, during this time. And Paul, he is here in Acts chapter 18, and he comes and says, after this, verse 1, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And if you see the previous chapter, you see this great sermon that Paul preaches there in Athens. But he was moved in the spirit and in the way to leave Athens and come to Corinth. Now, Corinth was a very, very corrupt city. This city was one of the top five cities in the Roman world, and it was a very strategic city because um, Rome was in the western part of the empire, and then you had the eastern part of the empire with uh, modern-day Turkey and Israel. And so in order to travel from the western part of the empire to the east, you would have to go around Greece. And so when you travel around the southern part of Greece, especially you see Paul, he is shipwrecked when he's returning to Rome further in the book of Acts. Well, there are great storms that will come up off the Sahara Desert and winds that, especially in the fall and this time of year, large ferries bigger than this church can't sail in these, this weather, in these conditions. And so in that time, what they did is they, they utilized... Corinth. Corinth was on an isthmus. The area is called Ithmia, and that's where we actually get our word isthmus from. And it's a narrow neck of land connecting two larger parts of land. And so you have the mainland of Greece, and then you have the Peloponnesos that it connects. And so what Rome did is they would utilize this by sailing through the Corinthian Gulf. They would come to the western port, which is called Lycaea. They would unload the cargo. They would transport the cargo across the, the narrow neck of land there. It's about, um, I think it's about two kilometers, uh, maybe three, three kilometers at the most, to across that land that they would then load it up on another ship. Also, on some occasions, they would transport the whole ship across the land. They had a platform that would go underwater, and they would put the ship on it and drag that across land. And so this city, it was kind of like New York and Las Vegas mixed into one. And, and yeah, I see some of you chuckling. You know exactly what that, menta- that is. And that's what Paul, he leaves Athens and he comes to this city. And here, look with me in verse 2. And it says, He found a Jew named Aquila. Okay, Aquila. What do we know about him? He says, a native of Pontus. Does anyone know where that is? Pontus. Located, okay. I don't have a map in this Bible. Okay, look, open up the back of your Bible, look at the map, 
go to the go to Turkey, and on the top top rightest part of Turkey, right there along the coast of the sea, you might see an area called Bithynia and Pontus. That is where Aquila is from. So here, where does he meet him though? He meets him in Corinth. So here, Aquila, a native of Pontus, we'll continue reading in verse 2, recently come from Italy. Okay, so sometime in his life, he went from Pontus to Italy. And he says, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. Okay, so here we, we are introduced to this man, Aquila, born in the eastern part of the empire, and somehow, sometime in his life, he moved to Rome. Now, why does anybody move into a city? Man, to leave this area, you have to be nuts. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, we, we get to work with refugees coming in Greece, and I meet people from the Maldives. And I'm like, are you crazy? And, and we also, we get to work with, uh, in our church, there are many Filipinos. And there's this one, this one couple, they are from the, uh, this specific area, it's called Palawan. And this is where Bill Gates goes on vacation. And I'm just like, you give me a tent on a beach, I'm not leaving that place. Um, but they're from this area. Well, why do they leave? They leave that area and go to cities and go to opportunities where you can get an education, the universities, where you can get a job, where you can build a future and hope a better life for the next generations, for your children. And so that's what Aquila had done. He had left Pontus, he had gone to Rome, and it was working. He was working. Got, it, it, he was having this opportunity. He got married there. We see his wife, Priscilla, who that name was most likely a Roman. And so you see this opportunity that he was building his life. He was building it on a foundation. He had this opportunity of moving from one area, going to a city, having that foundation of opportunity with education and, and jobs and these things. And it was working. And then it's all ripped out from under him. Why? It says in verse 2, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome. The, the emperor just rips it all away and sends him in, in exile and kicks him out of the city. Kicks him out of Rome and it's all gone. All that security that he was building his life on, that job that he may have had that opportunity that in Rome, it's all gone. And now here he is in Corinth, this corrupt city with his wife. And what is he doing? It says in verse 3, and because he was of the same trade, we're talking about Paul here, verse 3, he stayed with them and worked, okay? For they were tent makers by trade. So here we get to see two things. We can see one thing about Aquila and Priscilla, and we can see something about Paul. First, Aquila and Priscilla, again, what are they doing? They're working. They're tent makers. They're using 
this opportunity to build a foundation for their life and to start rebuilding their life again. And here comes Paul. Paul, born in Tarsus, a highly educated man, very spiritual at this point. At one point he was in the Sanhedrin and had the authority and the success and the power of this life. And so, he comes into relationship with this couple. Why? Well, because he's a great scholar and they needed someone to teach them. Um, because he was a really spiritual man and very charismatic and he, they were just like a magnet brought into his presence. And so, that's just how God works. No. They work together. They do the same thing. They do the same job. And here God brings the Apostle Paul into the life of Aquila and Priscilla, this refugee couple. He brings them together because of their work. Because they have something in common. And what's amazing though is Paul, yes, he's working with them. He's working there side by side with them. But there's something different about Paul's life. Let's keep reading. And look at verse 4. Look what Paul does. It says, And Paul, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. He reasoned in the synagogue. The Greek word for that is dialogia. And that's where we get our English word dialogue. One of the most, the largest problem in this country right now is there's no dialogue. No one is willing, no one is willing to sit and open up and have a conversation. To, to just all of us as human beings, we face the same questions. We have the same questions. We have the same needs in our life. But we're, we're standing on our side and we're like, no, I can't talk to you. Why? Because you might challenge my position. No. Just dialogue. Paul came and just asked questions and dialogued with them. In order to have a dialogue, you have to have both sides communicating. What's the best way to have both sides communicating? Ask a question. Ask a question. And we see here, in the previous verses, Luke, he's writing, and there are a lot of descriptions that we know, a lot of information that we see about Aquila and Priscilla in this passage. We know where he's from. We know his life and some decisions that he made in his life. We knew he was not in a great place here. They're just trying to get by. And he's gone from Pontus to Rome and the decisions that he's made and the consequences of it. And we see that in just those few verses. And so I have no doubt that Paul and Luke and the people, they just ask the questions. Where are you from? What do you do? Well, hey, we know what he did. They had to ask. <laughs> He's a tent maker. And they cared to have a dialogue with him. What are some choices that you're making in your life? I was thinking, you know, being a missionary, we're, we're to share the gospel and these things. Yes, but there are questions that you can just ask like, and I was trying to think of some of these questions that would just move a casual conversation in the direction of an opportunity to share the gospel. And one of those was like, what is one choice that you've made in your life that's had the greatest consequence? Period. That is a loaded question. <laughs> Answering that question, 
You have to reflect and look back at your life. And I can, I can imagine Aquila giving them his life story as a result of one of these questions like this. And so, Paul, he just dialogues with them. And then too, look what he does. He says, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So he starts with dialogue. And then he goes towards persuasion. Now what is persuasion all about? Persuasion about there is something in your life that you value. You value it enough to make decisions based on this truth, based on this thing in your life. And in order to persuade someone, you have to value it. And so you have to see where they are, see where their questions are, see how they can try to wrestle with these questions. The answers that they can't have, they don't have, and they're seeking answers for these, you get to share, well, this is the answer to it. This is, this is some, would this be a good route? One example of persuasion and things is, I love coffee. And, and man, you see somebody tired? Hey, let's go get a coffee. <laughs> it gives you energy. You need coffee. It gives antioxidants. One, one study will say, hey, coffee's very good for you. Another study will say, hey, coffee's really bad for you. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to persuade my wife about coffee, and she's just like, ugh. I don't like the taste of it. Um, but she'll wake up and we'll, we'll be going through a day and she's like, oh, I'm so tired, I need a break. No, you need coffee. <laughs> it doesn't work though. But that's something in my life. Um, but here Paul, he has something in his life that is an answer to these questions and to these needs and these holes that everyone has in their heart and in their life. So Paul, he moves from just persuading but he moves to verse 5. It says, And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews. He's moved from just persuasion to testifying. Now what is that step? Hey, yes, it's good for you and it has these answers, but guess what? It's real in my life. And this is what has done in my life. It's personal now. Paul is opening up his life. And we see the foundation of it, which is amazing here. Look at verse 5. It says, And Paul was occupied with the Word and testifying. He's occupied with the Word. It wasn't just in his personal experience, but his foundation is beginning in the Word of God. And when did he start doing this, though? Verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, God brought Timothy and Silas. And when they came into Paul's life and into the relationship and were there with him again, guess what? Now Paul is able to have the boldness. God, Paul, he's got the backup. He's got the support. He's got other people in his life speaking the same truth. And he's able to testify and preach the gospel to them. What is this that he is testifying of? Not coffee. He's testifying of that Jesus, that the Christ was Jesus. That's his foundation. That is the difference that makes his life different than Aquila and Priscilla. They're both tent makers. 
They both have the same occupation. They have a relationship. But the difference in Paul's life is that the Christ is Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. And he shares this with them. He dialogues with them. He persuades them. He testifies. And what's amazing is, when he's encountering these things, we think, well, Paul, he must have expounded amazing truths in, in the Bible and the Scripture from Genesis to Malachi and all of these. He must have been really hard in sharing his knowledge. But look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, here we get to see exactly what Paul shared and preached there in Corinth when he was there. Look at verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The gospel. The good news. The evangelio. The good news. Guess what? He's sitting there dialoguing with them. Choices have consequences. And guess what? Aquila, he understands that. He's lived some of those consequences in his life. He made the choice to go from Pontus to Rome to build a life and a foundation of education and opportunity. And it was all destroyed. But there is good news. And that is the Gospel. The good news that he preached to you which you received, in which you stand. We sang about that this morning. It is a foundation that we can make choices for the future on. Sometimes in life we think we're, we, we've, we've grown accustomed. We, we have the rhythm of the turns and the bends that are coming in front of us. And then, all of a sudden, ice. And it's all out of control. But the Gospel is nothing that will change around the next corner. It will always be faithful and it will always be the same. And it's something that we can stand on. And it is not the mud and the stuff that we walk in in this life. It is the truth of who God is. And here, it says you can stand in it by which you are being saved. We need salvation. It is not just a, the answer is not just another, a better tent model. Paul doesn't come to them and say, hey, guess what, guys? I have a design that will change your business model and you will make money and you will have a strong future in this. No. It's, they need salvation. They need someone to come in and rescue them. I needed that. You needed that. And guess what? I love this translation because here it says in verse 2, you are being saved. It is not something that just happened in the past. Good luck. Okay, you're saved. Now keep going on. You take care of it from here. And it's not something that's going to be in the future. Good luck, guys. Jesus died on the cross, and one day you're going to have that everlasting life in Him, and you will be saved. No. I need salvation now. I need someone in control of my life that knows how to drive this car. Because I cannot do it. 
And we need God in our life now protecting us and working in our life and and guiding in those decisions and making those decisions and moving our life and protecting us from the consequences of our own craziness in this world. And that is what the Gospel does. And we are being saved. And then verse 2, he says, if you hold fast to the word I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. It was different than just a a God that was happening in Corinth. Corinth, it it was a metropolitan city and there were gods from all all over the Mediterranean world there. And you could, whatever you wanted, you could pick one off the shelf and you could pay it you could praise it, you could give it offerings, you could give it offerings of thanksgivings, and you would try to earn the blessings of that God on your life. And God is not another one of those gods. He is not a God that you just pick up one day and say, hey, yeah, give me a good life. Thank you. I'm going to go on now. No. He is God. And He gives us salvation and He changes our life and He changes who we are and He gives us everlasting life. And it's not something you're just going to use to get the pleasures and the things of this world, but it's eternal life in Him and in transforming who you are. Unless you believe in vain and you want to use it. And we get that, every, we get that all the time coming through Athens, Greece. Refugees and people that just want to say, oh yeah, I want to believe in God. So I can get papers. God will open the way for me. God will get me to Germany. God will get me a good education. God will take care of my family. No. It's not about that. It's about who He is in your life. And then, look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, This is what is real in Paul's life. He received this. This is what made the difference in the person that he was. This is what transformed his life. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is the foundation of our life. This is who Christ is. And Paul shares this with Aquila and Priscilla, these refugees. And look at the amazing difference that it makes in their life. If you have time, sometime read the rest of that passage in in Romans chapter 18 and read it through to the end and you can see them be an example to a young man named Apollos, a very gifted man. But turn with me instead right now to Romans chapter 16. And I love the book of Romans. If I could have my name in a book, I think it would be awesome to be in the book of Romans. Um, for good reasons, of course. Um, and here, Paul, he is sending greetings. And in Romans chapter 16, the book of Romans um, is said to be written from Corinth. And so here he's giving greetings and it says, verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers, they knew how to make a great tent. They were some hard workers. No, it says, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. 
Here Paul is putting this couple on the same level as he, as an apostle. These are my fellow workers. These are my co-laborers. One, that's amazing for Aquila and Priscilla. And two, guess what? Paul needed other people. God uses other people in our lives. And this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, these refugees, God had used them, and now they are working together with Paul in his life, not just building tents and getting by with funds. They're laboring in Christ Jesus. They're working on that foundation. And look, verse 4. Look at this relationship and how close it was. Who risked their own necks for my life. This couple was involved in a relationship with Paul that they weren't just saying, yeah, Paul, good job. Go out there. We're praying for you. They were willing to take the consequences of Paul's choice on themselves. They put their own neck out on Paul be, Paul's behalf. And it was a physical relationship. They were willing to get involved in his life. And it says, verse 3, look at this. Or verse 4, sorry. It says, to whom not only I give thanks. So now, it's not only Paul that is giving thanks to this couple. But all the churches of the Gentiles. All the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. What does that mean? Here, Paul, the apostle that we would say is known, the apostle to the Gentiles. Here, he says, I give thanks to you, but not just me. Every church, every life that was touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ gives thanks for your involvement in my life. He's saying, these churches, they exist because of who you are and what you are doing in my life. All the things that Paul achieved and the churches that were planted and the kings that he stood before and the opportunities that he had to speak the gospel, he gives thanks to this refugee couple because they helped make it possible. And they were part of it. And then, look at verse 5. Here, he says, Greet also the church in their house. This refugee couple, Aquila, he had made decisions. He had made decisions in, as a young man to try to go to Rome and build a life. And it was all destroyed. He goes to Corinth tries to build a life and he gets the gospel of Jesus Christ in his life. And now, God has put him back in Rome. And guess what? He has a home there now. He has a house. He has a life. But it's no more about who he is and his future. It's about the church. He's taken what God has put in his life and he shared it with somebody else. 
It meant enough for them to open up their home and build their, their home on a foundation of the gospel and a community of faith and a community that is growing in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Rome. And that's what God has done 2,000 years ago. And guess what? He's doing the exact same thing today. He's doing it in Athens, Greece. And he's doing it here. And I would love to try to say the name of the town. Pan I, I kept saying Panton. Panton. <laughs> I learned something. He's doing it here in your life and through you. And through that, and through your heart, and through who you are in Christ, and your vision, he's touching lives around the world. One recent in my life is his name is Payam. And Payam, he came to the center and he's a young, 20-ish, I think he's 26. And he, he's like, he spoke English, so I got to speak with him directly, which I loved. Um, and so he's asking me a question. He's like, I, I understand what you're reasoning and what you're saying about the gospel, and, and he was coming to the Bible classes, and he had heard some testimonies and stuff, but that's 2,000 years ago, and I don't, I don't see how it can be. I have to go. I paid a smuggler. He's got a passport for me to try to go to the airport, and will you pray for me for the Lord to open the way before me? I'm like, hold on. <laughs> God is God. Trust God. He's like, yes, I know, but... I'm like, there's no but. And so we had some conversations and, and one day he decided, I am not going. I'm going to stay. And, one of, and then as soon as he decided that, he tells me about this girl that he's kind of fallen in love with that has made it onto Germany. And he's like, what do I do? And I'm like, trust God. <laughs> and he's like, oh. Like every answer is the wait for God. What? Well, in, in Greece there's the decision that if you're Iranian, you have one hour between Wednesday, 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock that you have, to, you have to make this phone call to start your paperwork. And if you don't get through on this call, you have to try the next week. And there are thousands of Iranians trying to make this call during that hour. So three weeks, he tries to make this call and doesn't get through. But on the fourth week, he prays on Tuesday night, Lord, if you are working in this life, and, and I know who you are, and I want you to work in my life, I want this to be a miracle. I want to see you work. And so he went the next day to the center where they have some computers that you can connect online. They're all full. It's like, ah. Oh. So he, he has a, a, a tablet. His cell phone had gotten stolen, so he doesn't have connection with it, but he was able to try to connect with the Wi-Fi and it's not working, and it's now 11.30, and he sees this lady get up from a computer. Praise God. He's like, okay. So he goes and asks her, can I use the computer? And she's like, yes. But if you're going to make this phone call, this man over here, he's already got connected. And so she's going to help him. But she's like, you're willing to use it. So he sits down, he's like, let me try. He pushes the button, and the call goes through. And there, he's like, yes. But then the lady says, can you get me the other man that I was just talking with? 
Yes. <laughs> so he gets the, the man and he's doing his paperwork and filing it, giving his information. And then the lady now has two young children with him, with her, says, Hey, are you, um, this is my computer. So she's like, he's, okay, yes, of course, of course. So he gives the computer to her next. And the lady says, on the line says, get me the other man that I spoke with, Payam. So Payam gets to sit down and he gets to give his information. And now, at the end he's feeling guilty and so the lady, the operator actually says, now give me the lady so that I can do her paperwork too. And so he's like, yes, of course. And, and gives the lady, she gets her paperwork. And then there's a young man who had never tried this process. He knew in Greece, he's from Iran and didn't know, someone just told him to try to go make the phone call. He's sitting there beside him and the lady connects him and he is able to file his, his paperwork as well. Never trying, never going through the frustration of not knowing how long and what and will the police arrest me the next week? And he gets his paperwork. And God worked in Payam's life. And there you see, because he decided to trust God, to be, allow God to be God, four other people were blessed through him and he got to share who God is and be a witness to them. And last week, he still had the girl in Germany. He got to lead her to the Lord through Skype. And she got saved. And now she wants to start a Bible study with her Iranian friends there. And so we get to serve this God together. Thousands of miles away, God is God. Where are you at? Is the gospel the foundation of your life? Is this something in your life that you're willing to persuade somebody to? Is it real enough in your life that you are willing just to open up a dialogue and ask, who are you? Where are you from? What is valuable in your life? And have that opportunity to speak truth and give a testimony. Do you have a testimony? Are you willing to share it? It transforms lives. It transforms communities. And it's the answer around the world. Will you be part of that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you for your gospel. Lord, we praise you for your salvation. Lord, we praise you that this is not some 2,000-year-old idea that has lost its value, its power in the lives of men. Lord, I praise you that it changed my life. And Lord, as this church here, those that are here, Lord, I pray that you'll be real in their life. Lord, that your gospel will be the driving force and will be the foundation that we can move forward. Lord, that they will see the value of who you are in their life, in their family, and in this community. And Lord, that your gospel will transform lives around the world. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.